Code Fund Podcast Network. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Linode. Whether you're working on a personal project or managing your enterprise's infrastructure, Linode has the pricing, support, and scale you need to take your project to the next level. Get started on Linode today by going to linode.com slash sustain. Welcome to Sustain. This is the podcast where we talk about sustaining open source for the long haul. What does that mean? Who's involved? How can we do it all better? Today, we have two other panelists besides the illustrious myself. Hello. We have Justin. Hey, everyone. Always wearing his great hats. And Eric. Hey, everybody. And our guest today is Georg Link. How's it going, Georg? Hey, it's a wonderful day here in Omaha, Nebraska. Thanks for having me on. What's, what's awesome. the weather like? It's sunny today, but cold. Oh, okay. I did not expect you to be from Nebraska. That was just really funny when I asked you where you're from earlier. It's like, Nebraska, whoa, that's awesome. When he first told me, I think like a year ago, I was like, what? I thought you were like, I thought you were like in Europe or something. Like you're just so like, I don't know. Which no, is a pretty good, it's a good segue. Where do you come from? How did you end up at this podcast talking about sustaining open source? I come from Germany originally. I grew up in a small village there, just 800 folks, living on the premise of an 800-year-old castle. My dad was the manager there. And I came to Omaha, Nebraska for an exchange program. So that's how I ended up in Omaha, Nebraska. And then I got stuck here. If not to say I fell in love here and bought a house and got married and all that. So that, that is my, my life journey. My open source journey is started in high school, really. When I got my first computer, we got internet, and I figured out what to do with the computer. And I had friends who started, were developing software, and I was like, Ooh, this is interesting. And so I figured out how to do more, and using open source was an easy choice. So I stumbled upon it. And I wanted to give back to the community. I learned about the collaborative way open source software is developed. And I followed the advice to start with a project that I was actually using. And that was openoffice.org at the time. And I would not have guessed how educational that was. So this was me before I finished high school joining an open source project, super scared, just lurking on the mailing list at first. And being in Germany, I figured one way I could contribute is to test the German version of the openoffice.org software. And so I started making non-code contributions, as I would call it today. And I've found other ways to contribute. I've never written a single line of code for the openoffice.org project. That, that has very much shaped the way that I think about sustaining open source today because I realize the importance of all these other tasks. Another interesting insight from that experience was when Oracle bought Sun Microsystems. Sun Microsystems had started the openoffice.org project as the open source core of this DAR office project or uh, software that they were selling. And when Oracle bought Sun, they got the rights to the name. 
and were not very forthcoming with coordinating with the community what was happening. So the community went off and continued as LibreOffice. They couldn't use the name, so they had to come up with their own name. And they started the foundation. And this resiliency in the community has been very inspiring, where it shaped the way that I spent my last five years as I joined the PhD program and I had a chance to dive into open source as part of my research. The first thing I did was I went back to that experience from the openoffice.org community. And the questions I asked, the way that I looked at open source. And so, yeah, that's how I ended up in open source initially. That's fantastic. What was your PhD on? The PhD is in information technology. And here at Omaha and at the University of Nebraska at Omaha, this means it is anything from robotics, computer science, cybersecurity, and information systems. And so I was in that information systems part of the program, looking at how users and software and developers, this social aspect of IT. And my research focus is on how organizations, companies, foundations work in open source. Which involves a lot of metrics, right? You're the metrics guy for open source. You're interested in that. How has that changed and moved into what you currently do at Paterja? Let's start at the beginning. When I started the PhD program, yep. I met Matt Germanprey, the professor that I ended up working with. And he said, okay, I'm doing research in corporate engagement open source. I'm doing field studies. I'm doing uh, qualitative research. I was scared of qualitative research at the time because I thought being English as a second language, I didn't know that I had the tools to do qualitative research. But I gave it a shot because the topic of open source just fascinated me. And so the journey that I took was on this engaged field research, which meant in this research group, we went into the open source communities. We participated hands-on. We talked to a lot of people engaged in these projects, especially at companies, open source program officers and maintainers and people just contributing on so many different levels because we wanted to have the inside perspective and report that out to the research community and synthesize it and find some nice theories around it. So that is the research journey I took. And now, now here's the thing where metrics come in. When you talk to companies, they want to know how they're doing. They want to know how things are going. They want to understand the open source projects they're engaged in. And traditionally, companies are especially as they grow, are synthesizing things down to numbers. And so they're very used to having metrics for their decision-making, for their reporting. And we, we kept hearing this as we are engaging with open source folks. And so, so from this engagement, from this research, is how we came up with the Chaos Project. And I can I can share that story if you like. The that was that was my with the question I was writing down as I was you were talking about metrics. So yes, please. The roots of the chaos project 
And this is my story of how I experienced the start of the Chaos Project. We were at the Linux Foundation. Now it's called the Member Summit. Back then it was the Open Source Leadership Summit in 2017. And there was a board for unconference sessions. So we just put community health on there. And didn't expect anyone to show up. Just, hey, let's have an open conversation about community health. Because that is the term that we use or and hear a lot. People, when they think about sustainability, they think about the health of the community. So we went to the room for the unconference session and we filled the room. We had to pull in chairs from other rooms because there was so much interest in this topic. So we went around the room, talked about what everyone wanted, and metrics was the number one thing. So after that session, we spoke with the Linux Foundation and we confirmed that, yes, the Linux Foundation is interested in metrics. They're hiring Baturgia. This is the segue in how I got, ended up at Baturgia in a moment. They hired Baturgia to provide metrics for their open source project to report out to their members how their projects are doing. We had the companies who are interested in metrics, and we had as the third component, the academic side. So my research team and others. So the Linux Foundation said, okay, we have what it takes to bring everyone together and form a project, which would later then become the chaos project, which is short for community, health, analytics, open source software. C-H-A-O-S-S, chaos. We really love this name, by the way, because we've tried to bring some insights into the chaos of open source. <laughs> but that's just a side joke. <laughs> I love it. So that's how we started chaos. Now, in how we set up chaos is the Linux Foundation had said, we are working with Biturgia to provide the metrics. Biturgia has developed a tool that is open source, GPL licensed, that's called Grimola. At the university, we were starting to prototype some metrics. This would become the Augur project. The Linux Foundation was also using another tool, Kregit, to look at the source code and identify on a more granular level than Git blame who made changes. So you can actually go and see who added this variable within a line. And then... There was another project that Red Hat contributed, which unfortunately right now does not have a lot of activity, so it's in the attic. The project that Red Hat contributed was Prospector, and it's a really interesting tool because it took the approach of taking the metrics that you were collecting and providing an interface where you can say, for this analysis, I'm weighting these metrics in different weights or give them different meanings and importance. And then you get like a green, yellow, red lighting for the projects as synthesis of the metrics. And it's a really interesting project that the Red Hat had developed internally and is using internally. And then when we start the project, they contributed to the open source community. So I, I've met you several times and you're a very fascinating individual because you you think like a computer, at least it seems like you think like a computer and you're <laughs> constantly processing data. And and so your your skills and talents are definitely along the data side. But I think that the people that are, one, emphatic about open source and two, are able to 
be able to view data in a way that you do are so far and few between. So I would love to get your unique perspective of what was your view when you started getting into the data behind open source? What kind of revelations did you have? What did you find that maybe nobody was talking about at the time through your studies? When we started looking at community health and I dug into the literature, the literature in on open source was based on project success and metrics that have been used in other areas on the level of activity in projects. And when I found a study that and said there are several studies out there that looked at longevity of projects, they always looked in the past, said, okay, this project is still active one year, two years later, and let's go back and see what the activity looked like before. Those kinds of studies were, in my opinion, not living up to the experience that I had in open source because they took a very external view and tried to make all of the open source projects like comparable. And and they're not, They're, they're really not. Open source projects are very unique on many different levels. And so as we were doing qualitative research, talking to people and working with open source projects to identify what metrics matter to them, it became very clear early on that metrics are highly sensitive to the context, to the individual projects. They mean different things for different communities, for different projects. You need to understand where the community has been, how it's shaped, who are the actors in the communities. Those are all things that metrics can help us put into numbers. But then for interpreting those numbers, you really need to tell the story of the community. And that is something that I did not expect going into this. I had this idea that, hey, we can start collecting data. We can come up with a nice quality model. We can compare projects. Maybe we need to segment them by infrastructure projects versus user interface projects versus web projects, but then we can compare them. And those we have not been able to do those kinds of analysis on comparisons. And the take that we have in the chaos community is that we say, okay, we are defining metrics. So this is the other part. We do the software in chaos but then we also do definitions for metrics. We provide you with a description of how to collect the metric, what the metric could possibly tell you. And then we are not making any judgments on how that metric is going to tell you something about your community, how you're going to use that metric. It is very much up to you to then tell the story of the community and you can use those metrics to support that. So as I hope that answers your, your question on how my view on metrics has been shaped over these past five years and has changed. It does. Thank you. A follow-up, I guess, to that. What is your expectation of these projects when they use the metrics outlined that you're talking about, what is the expectation that they will do with that? Is it more of a just checking where we're at and we're on a good path or is it lead to more actionable items or 
and and what would actually lead a community to even start researching this? There are many drivers for why we start having metrics. I was saying at the beginning here that we started the research in companies wanting metrics about their open source projects. So some companies and foundations provide these metrics to the communities as a way to help govern the projects. I know, for example, the Finos Foundation has a governance model that is based on contributions. So the more members of the foundations are contributing, the more say they have in these projects. And if you're a member and not contributing, then the metrics can show that. So you're starting to gamify a little bit how that is happening. And the Finos Foundation has an amazing framework for reporting out to the board how their different projects are doing. Check it out on the Finos Wiki. It's a really great framework that I can recommend looking at. The other reason that I'm seeing for metrics is almost grassroots driven, where the community says, we want to have metrics about our project. And I've seen this, for example, in Drupal. The Drupal community has developed an amazingly sophisticated system for recognizing contributions and different kinds of contributions. And they can differentiate between volunteers working on Drupal versus people working on Drupal as their employment contract, or if they are working on Drupal for customers of their company. It's a very detailed level that the Drupal community has developed there. And they use that to rank or, or when they display the companies involved in Drupal and choose the ranking in which order they're displayed based on those contributions. So you're rewarding the companies and the contributors for being more active in the community. Another community that I just talked to at FOSDEM that is very much community-oriented in how they do metrics is LibreOffice. They hired Petrugia a couple of years ago to set up the platform for them, and then they're maintaining it themselves right now. But they want to take that data that they're collecting about their community and develop a contributor sheet where you can see for the for each contributor how active they are in different parts of the project so that they can recognize. Again, it's about recognizing the contributors. And this is something the membership committee is working on right now. In summary, there are two main reasons why I see metrics being implemented. One was the organization's management of these projects, making decisions. And the other is community-driven, recognizing the contributions of contributors. Drupal has a really comprehensive state of their community that they do once a year. Uh, we'll put it in the show notes, but it just reminded me once he said that because they really go into the metrics. And I think, Richard, you know that because you're yep. sort of part of that community. So just wanted to throw that in. 
So one of the things I'm curious about, you keep mentioning metrics. What metrics? Are you talking about, does this repo have a readme or are there people who have names who are involved in the project and not faceless yep. drone number 47573? Like what, what metrics do we have? So the, when we talk about metrics, for me, it comes back to the work we're doing in the chaos community because we started out by just listing out everything that people were throwing at us for things they wanted to know, like commits and number of issues and number of contributors and how long does it take for a maintainer to respond to an issue. And we had this amazingly long list of hundreds of metrics. I don't know if it was hundreds, but it was very long and unwielding. So through the work of the chaos community, we came up with a framework. Organically, it arrived because we were saying, okay, we need to focus on different kinds of metrics. And so the chaos community organized into what is now five working groups. And those are different areas of metrics. The first one that we started was the diversity and inclusion working group that looked at metrics from a diversity and inclusion standpoint. The second one was, at the time, we called it growth, maturity, and decline. Now it's renamed to evolution. But we want to understand where in the life cycle is a project and what metrics can we use for that. Then we started working group on risk. This is business risk. You don't want to be relying on an open source project that the community goes away and you're stuck and you're stuck maintaining it because it's part of your critical business infrastructure. But it's also licensing risk. And the fourth working group was value because especially companies want to look at open source projects and say, okay, what value do we get out of participating in a certain project? But also communities want to demonstrate their value when they go out and receive funding or request funding. So value is an area where we have metrics. And then as a fifth one, we have a common working group that is collecting metrics that are shared across all of these different focus areas, different working groups. Are these metrics open source? Can I go look at them somewhere? Because those are really interesting buckets, but I'm still curious, what are the actual metrics? Fair point, I'll get to that. Yes, you can go online to chaos.community slash metrics. Awesome. That is where we release the metrics. There are more metrics being worked on in the working groups. And we, we could spend the entire hour here for this podcast going into each metric. But just as a high level, we have different types of metrics in each of these working groups. One type is metrics derived from data that our collaboration tools already collect. In academics, we call this the trace data. It's the data about the activity, like issues and commits and pull requests and email and IRC messages. And there's metadata attached to those, like who made that contribution, when was this contribution made, and so on. And we can collect this trace data and build metrics from that. So that's one category of metrics. Another is harder to get to. We have several metrics, especially in the diversity and inclusion working group, where we have to rely on asking the community, where we have survey questions defined or interview questions. Sometimes it's like you said, 
go to a project and see, do they have a readme file? Do they have a contributing file? Do they have a code of conduct? Where is it? Is it on the website? Is it in their repo? Are they announcing it at events? Those are things we cannot get from the trace data alone. So there are different kinds of metrics. And depending on what your question is, you need to figure out how you can collect that metric. And that's another interesting point, if, if I can have that two minutes. Of course. <laughs> in, in chaos, we organize the metrics in a goal question metric approach, where we say you start looking at metrics because you have some goal for the community, for your business, for whatever. And to reach that goal, you have certain questions about your open source projects or communities. And you can use metrics to answer those questions. And you want to tie the metrics back to those goals because then you can have actionable insights that you would otherwise just saying, hey, we can collect metrics. Great. We can look at them, visualize them nicely. But what do they actually mean for us? You need to go through this goal question metric approach to know why you're looking at the metrics. So this is awesome. And you're, you're really good at, at describing it and also describing it clearly and efficiently. And it's wonderful. I'm not sure we've had anyone who's actually said every word as clear as you have. One of the things I'm wondering is I'm trying to figure out how we can help people listening to the podcast who aren't in an OSPO, who have a project or you know maybe are solo maintainers or maybe have a, have a team of 10 people working on a project. How can they use these metrics to actually make their code better in the long run? Is it a, a thing of going to chaos and then looking at the various metrics that you have there and then applying them to their own repo and figuring out, oh, we should have a code of conduct. Is there a score I can try and improve? And yeah, but basically, how does this trickle down to actively changing current things instead of just evaluating the state of a thing? The first thing I would recommend is to take a look at the chaos metrics that we've released because they give a project an idea about what can be measured and how you might go about measuring it. We also have software. We have the Augur project that is developed at the University of Missouri. And we also have the Grimoire Lab project, which is developed by Biturgian, is used by the Linux Foundation, the Finos Foundation, and others to do their metrics. So that is the part, how do you get the metrics? There's also... I'm going to shamelessly include a plug here for a new service Biturgia is developing. It's called Cauldron. So if you go to cauldron.io, we have an alpha version where you can just go type in your GitHub repo and it starts collecting the data for you. So these are different ways that you can start collecting the metrics. Now, your question was about how do we actually get some actionable insights for our community? One approach you might take is to join the chaos calls and you find a community that is talking about metrics all the time and you can just bounce around ideas. You can come to the meeting and say, hey, I was looking at our community. This is what I'm seeing. Do you have any ideas what this means, what we could do about this? The other strategy that I can recommend is to look at the data and then ask the people who are experts on the community, go back to the community, go to the maintainers because they understand how things are working and they can probably explain to you why 
the metrics show what they show. And if there's an uptick in commits, they might be able to say, yes, that was because we had Google Summer of Code. Or we had an outreachy student who was working on this particular module over here. But then after that, no one else did anything after that. So you might identify areas in your project that need work. You might identify that response time for core contributors is really short. So when you have someone who is well-known in the community and they post an issue, immediately someone else who is regularly in the community responds. But when you have someone coming from the outside, when you have a drive-by contributor, they might wait three, five, 10 extra days. Now that is an interesting metric because those drive-by contributors are not sticking around that long. So you're losing the potential of engaging them in the community. And how do you know that if you're not looking at the metrics, if you're not looking at the numbers that objectively tell you this? Now, numbers are not objective. I, I would never suggest that. You can bring in a perspective that is less biased than your own. So you say that the metrics should actually be applied probably in tandem with on the ground knowledge that by themselves, it's not as useful as actually going back to the maintainers and saying, hey, what's going on in your project? What that says to me is that when you're, all this data you're collecting, right? All these metrics may not be useful to say a code maintainer, to someone who's just down in the code focusing on how do we make this particular feature work. But it's much more useful to someone who has a high level overview of the system. So much more useful to people involved with say the board of directors for a nonprofit that has open source software, or for a community maintainer who's trying out part-time to do a bit more substantial non-code edits to a project and try to figure out how we can onboard new users. Those are the people these metrics are really for. Am I right in assuming that? There is truth to what you said. That, and that is because of my unique take on metrics and my experience with the overarching community mm. management perspective of open source. Mm. We do have metrics that can be interesting to the developers, like code coverage, licenses in files, where you can have metrics about test coverage, or we also have metrics about vulnerabilities. And those are metrics that a developer can focus on to know where to focus their attention or to see how well they're doing or the team as a whole, the community as a whole, how it is doing. So over time, hopefully you can see that your CVEs, your common vulnerabilities and exposures, which is a list of bugs and errors that are vulnerable, make your system vulnerable that those have been going down. So to your question, to your question, there is the side of the community management, maintainers, growing the community. That is just my personal preference of thinking about it. But we certainly have metrics that developers are interested in as well. Awesome. One of the reasons I ask is because not a lot of maintainers have time. Open source is a really time-intensive ecosystem. You have to put in the long hours after work sometimes. I mean, this is what leads to burnout, right? Is that people have, they can't fit 120 hours into a 40-hour work week, and it's very difficult to do so. And so what I'm trying to, to tease out here 
is how can someone who's already in the trenches learn from these numbers and learn from these metrics? Mary Oliver said that attention is the beginning of devotion. And so being too attentive to metrics to me seems like it could actually lead to spending a lot of time trying to improve issue response times and not a lot of time figuring out, well, actually what I should do is just refactor that entire submodule. And so I guess another way of phrasing this is you're doing a lot of top-down, qualitative, long-term looks at a project, right? How it's changed and moved or what it looks like today. How does that factor into forward-thinking, reactionary, oh, we don't have a, a license, we should add a license file. And how can people learn about these things from the metrics without getting involved in the chaos community? Not that they shouldn't, but they may not have the time. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? Sounds like it's coming back to this idea that you need to have this on-the-ground knowledge and experience about the community. Mm. And you can go to the chaos metrics to get some ideas for questions that you might not have been asking about your community yet. And those metrics can help you get a new perspective. But then it's up to the community, up to you in, as someone on the ground to make that strategic decision that yeah. no one else can make for you. And we cannot make that as a chaos project, nor do we yeah. want to make that as a chaos project. It is something that we can only provide you the tools with. Awesome. Okay, thank you. Uh, moving, moving to something else. Chaos has been around for a while, not 10 years, but you know, a, a couple now. You just had ChaosCon as part of the Sustain slash FOSDEM Summit in Brussels. Can you talk a bit about what was different at this ChaosCon and what you focus on and what you're doing moving ahead? So, yeah. ChaosCon is an event that we organize as the Chaos community twice a year. We always have it at FOSDEM and the other one in North America at the Open Source Summit North America. And it's the time when we get together as a community and we can introduce new people to our work. This ChaosCon in Brussels was the best we've had, in my opinion. And, and it has changed a lot from when we started. When we started the Chaos Project and ChaosCon, you go back at the topics, was a lot about we are facing a lot of challenges with metrics. Where do we get the data from? Uh, what does that even mean? How do we avoid gamification that people who start using metrics change their behavior that is detrimental to the project? To now... This time, we had a lot of reports, companies and communities and even universities using metrics and how they have been using it and sharing that experience out. And it's been really rewarding to see how far we have come in those last almost three years. And moving forward, we are discussing to have ChaosCon, not just as a report out, but also interactive where we want to have workshops to actually build out more metrics, define metric strategy, solve people's metrics issues. So it's not just uh, someone's at the front reporting what they have done, but actually helping each other and build that community at ChaosCon. So that's something we are planning on right now. Awesome. Where can people get involved going forward if they're listening to this podcast? Just go to chaos.community and check in there. Where else? 
The first place I point people to is chaos.community slash participate. That is where you find the link to sign up to the mailing list. We send out on the mailing list every week a short summary of what has been going on. So even if you cannot be engaged in the community any other way, you at least get that weekly report out on top items that have happened. The On that participate page is also how you can connect with the different working groups where you can join in at any time. It's open for everyone. You can ask questions. We're always happy to get you caught up. And then on Tuesdays, we have a community meeting. And this is where all the working groups come together, all the software comes together, and we talk about the big topics that are going on in the chaos community. And I highly recommend as a first starting point to, one, join the mailing list, and two, try to make that Tuesday meeting. Yeah, I have another question as well. Going over the metrics, I absolutely love how you've broken it down, and I understand that it's a fine art to be able to build that list out. One thing that I did notice it's not there is any type of financial backing or support. Can you explain maybe why that doesn't fit into the metrics? You're right. It's not in the metrics right now, but it certainly does fit in with the metric and the structure we have. The reason it's not there right now is because we are picking low-hanging fruits we have to get started somewhere and we just had to start building a baseline. And so these financial backing metrics is something we have not gotten to yet. And if that is something, Eric, that you're interested in helping us build out, we're happy to invite you. It's probably something to discuss in the value working group where we talk about money in open source and how we can build metrics around that. One interesting metric we have there is job opportunities, where the value of a community to a contributor can be indicated through how many job postings require the skills on that project. So if you are working in Kubernetes and you know there are thousands of job postings that require Kubernetes skills, then that's a clear indicator that you can advance in your career and that's a value to a contributor. Georg, you obviously think about these things all the time. And just as you know, there's no replacement for on the ground thinking about metrics, I'm curious, where can people find you and find your thoughts on the internet? I have, uh, as a central place to find me, georg.link. I'm very happy to have that last, <laughs> that top-level <laughs> domain link. And then my blog is at georglink.de, de for Germany, because that's where I started many, many years ago. I'm also on LinkedIn and Twitter. Awesome. Thank you so much. This has been a really fascinating conversation. It's really cool to hear how metrics can be used and what sort of metrics are out there. And um, Chaos is definitely a project everyone should check out. Now is probably the time for Spotlight, where we spotlight a project that has meant a lot to us in the past or right now or something we found interesting or the latest thing we saw going by our window depends on the week. So, Justin, what is your spotlight for this week? My spotlight this week is a Tech Republic article called Linux Foundation Study Throws the Open Source Sustainability Debate into Question. It's by Matt Assay. And there's quotes from Sustain Summit 2020 attendees, such as Louis Vila from Tidelift, as well as Chris Anishek from the Linux Foundation. So, very good read. 
Awesome. Thank you. Eric, what do you got for us? I got a pretty controversial one this week. I'm going to actually pick blockchain. Last week, I was at a conference for five days, and one of the conferences that I attended and spoke at was the Web3 Sustain event. And it was so fascinating to watch as an absolute skeptic of Web3, meaning blockchain, how the promise of blockchain connects intent and values into financial transactions. And it's pretty interesting. It, it kind of opened my eyes to what's possible with this. And, you know, as Georg, as you focus on data, I focus on, you know, financial sustainability of open source. And this is one of those things that kind of opened up a door in my, in my brain that I'm starting to explore. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. Like I said, it's an odd spotlight, but there you go. Doesn't sound odd to me at all. Web3 is a super interesting set of conferences. Um, and a lot of really cool stuff going on there, particularly towards open source sustenance. My pick this week is actually just Jekyll. It's hard for me to choose a new thing every week because we do this all the time. But Jekyll is one of the things I continually use and I have used for the past five, 10 years or whatever, building websites really easily and fast using Ruby. I'm not even a Ruby developer. And I use Jekyll all the time and I just love it. When I want to build a blog, it's the first thing I go to. So Jekyll and yeah, that's me. Georg, what is your link today? Your spotlight? I want to give a shout out to the LibreOffice community. They have been back when it was openoffice.org, an amazing community to just get my feet wet in open source. And they introduced me to this idea that the community can live on even if that if a company that sponsored and created a project that the community can live on and be sustainable beyond just one company so that that has shaped my path in open source and i'm i just want to give them a shout out it's a great great community awesome thank you so much for being on this podcast it's been really interesting and that's all take care everyone yeah, you've been great. Thanks. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. It's been amazing. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Linode. With 11 data centers worldwide, including their newest data center in Sydney, Australia, with enterprise-grade hardware, S3-compatible storage options, and their next-generation network, Linode delivers the performance you expect at a price that you don't. Get started on Linode today by going to linode.com slash sustain.